Our Old Testament reading is from Joshua 22, verses 1 through 6. Joshua 22, verses 1 through 6. This is the very word of God, so let's give it our full attention. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now, therefore, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. And our New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. We'll read 25 through 30. In the sermon, I'll especially be uh, focusing on verses 28 through 30, but just to keep the context in mind, we'll read 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray now and ask him to bless it to us. Lord, even as we have just sung, you have the true and perfect gentleness. No harshness have you and no bitterness. We pray that you would make us to taste the sweet grace found in you and ever stay in sweet unity with you, our God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus makes what is a a surprising and staggering claim in verse 27. We saw this last week as we looked at this passage together. In verse 27, Jesus says that he is the only one who knows the Father. And that he's the only one, therefore, who can reveal the Father. It's one of the highest and clear statements of the divinity of Jesus in the whole Gospel of Matthew. He says says that he reveals who God is. 
That he is the only one who knows who God is and he is the one who reveals who God is and that he has sovereign authority to reveal to whomever he will, whomever he will choose, who God is. It's a claim of his complete power and authority and reign and rule. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to the kingdom unless Jesus opens their blind eyes to see it. But then, not only does Jesus... He begins like this. He says that this is who He is. He reveals the Father to us. He's the sovereign God. He claims that. And then in the very next verse, He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So He says, I'm the eternal Son of God. And then what does He do? He, he, he comes down to earth. He comes and he, 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 he says, Let the weary, let the burdened come to Me. I didn't come for the great, the high, and the mighty. I came for the weak and the lowly and the needy. He says, let the weary and and heavy burdened come to me. We unpacked this last week. He's calling sinners to himself. And he's calling sufferers to himself. Uh, he, he, He looks around him and he sees the Pharisees. And they're shoveling ton after ton of legalistic burden on top of the backs of the Jews. And it's crushing them. And he says, come to me and I'll free you of that burden and I'll give you rest. He he looks around and he sees people suffering under guilt of sin. He says, come to me. I'll free you from the guilt of sin. He sees people suffering intensely. Various miseries of this life. He says, come to me and I'll restore your soul and give you rest and give you life. It's a staggering thing that the sovereign God, the eternal Son of God, would come down to earth and say such a thing as this. He comes and He calls us to Himself. He says, come to Me, as He starts verse 28. Come to Me. Now, in a lot of contexts, if you hear someone saying, come to Me, trust in Me, you might start, rightly so, to get a little bit suspicious. Uh, there's this scene in the animated Jungle Book, Disney's Jungle Book movie, where the snake, I don't remember the snake's name, but the snake is singing a song to Mowgli. Trust in me. Trust in me, right? And you know that the last thing you should do is trust the snake. But what Jesus is saying is different. Right? He's, he's, uh, he's preaching the gospel, and the main point of his sermon is himself, because he is the gospel. No one else can say, come to me, I'll give you rest. But Jesus can say that because he is the rest giver. He is, he is the gospel. He centers the whole message of the kingdom on himself here. Um, he's, he's been building up to this all along in his preaching about the gospel. And now he, he brings it out in, in, in the clearest possible statement that to come to the kingdom of heaven means to come to Jesus. That he is the center of the kingdom. The kingdom radiates out. From Jesus, the kingdom is nothing more than His gracious reign and rule uh, over over His people. So he's, he's centering the kingdom on Himself by saying, "Come to Me." He's, he's centering our salvation on Himself by saying, "Come to Me." He, he, he's fixing our attention on Him. This is important for us to know and pay attention to. Uh, sometimes we can treat salvation like it's an Amazon package. It's something you can order. And it shows up on your doorstep, and you can un- unpack it and enjoy it. But you don't have any personal relationship, right, with the person who sent it, 
Right? Salvation is not like that. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in Him. First uh, Corinthians 1.30 says, He Himself is redemption. So Jesus is saying, come to Me. Keep your attention on Me. I'll let, put, put Me at the center of, of, of your life and your world. I'm your only hope. Trust in Me. I'm the only Savior there is. What does it mean to come to Jesus? Two things that I think we can see here. Two things it means to come to Jesus. The first is that it means freely to receive Him. To come to Jesus means freely to receive Him. Notice what He doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you are righteous, come to Me. He doesn't say, if you are rich, come to Me. He doesn't say, if you are intelligent, come to Me. If you've read Calvin's Institutes, come to Me. He says, if you're weary, heavy laden, come to me. He doesn't, he doesn't say if you've got your life together and, and uh, you're, the, you're the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect dad, perfect mom, perfect employee, perfect boss, then you can come. He doesn't say that if you do your devotions every morning, you can come to him. He says, come to me. His words here are evocative of our call to worship, aren't they? From Isaiah 55, verse 1, where the Lord says to His people, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. That's what Jesus is saying. He's freely offering Himself to anyone who comes. There's no cost. Just come. Embrace Him. There's nothing you need to bring. There's, no, there's no, no payment you need to make. There's no payment you could make. Just come to Him. Freely receive Jesus Christ. There's, there's no sin that is too great that you can't come and receive Jesus. And there's no brokenness that's so deep that you can't come and receive Jesus freely. So when He says, come to Me, He says, come freely receive all that I am for you. Second thing he means is to fully follow him. So we look at verse 28. Verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then in verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The two verses are in parallel. Um, uh, the, the verse 29 is sort of unpacking a little bit more of what Jesus is saying in verse 28. Um, they don't say exactly the same thing. The, the, verse 29 is bringing out some, some, some nuance of meaning we might miss if we just had verse 28. So verse 28 emphasizes freely receive Jesus. Verse 29 emphasizes fully follow Jesus. Fully follow Jesus. This is the second thing it means to come to Jesus, to fully Follow him. Where do we see this in the text? Verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. A yoke, what, what, what's a yoke? Um, it's what you put on an animal so you, it can bear a burden, so it can haul a, a heavy load. Um, it would go on the neck or the shoulders of, of, of oxen and they would use it to pull things. And so Jesus is saying, there is a yoke. When you, when you come to me, there is something you have to bear. There's something you have to submit to, bow to, have placed on your shoulders, and you have to carry it. Um, 
He's, it's a call to discipleship here. He's not calling us uh, uh, to be completely free from all constraints. He's calling us to come and be free in obeying Him and submitting ourselves to Him and following Him. He's, he's calling us to be students of Christ. He says, learn from Me. We just saw verse 27, verse 26, the first section, the first part of this, this text. He is the one who does what? He reveals God. He teaches who God is in the gospel. And now he's saying, learn, learn from me. Let me be your teacher. Come, come, come join my school. Enroll in my class. I'll teach you who God is. I'll teach you about the kingdom of heaven. I'll, I'll, I'll show you how to, how to live a life uh, that, that, that is uh, in, in the way of the gospel. Um, so this, this means a cost of some kind, doesn't it? To bear a yoke, even the light yoke of Christ, there, there is a cost there. It means applying your mind, applying your heart to study and learn from His Word and follow His example. So he, he says, come to me, freely receive me, but also fully follow me. Matthew Henry writes about this. He says, Christ has a yoke for our necks as well as a crown for our heads. And this yoke He expects that we should take upon us and draw in. We must come to Christ Jesus as our teacher and set ourselves to learn of Him. Christ has erected a great school and has invited us to be His scholars. We must enter ourselves, associate with His scholars, and daily attend His instructions He gives us by His Word and Spirit. We must converse much with what He said and have it ready to use upon all occasions. We must conform to what He did and follow His steps. To, to come to Jesus, then, means you can't just come and freely receive without also fully following Him and submitting yourself to be a student and learn from Him and follow His example. Come to Him. Come to me, Jesus says. This is, this is something of what it means to come to Jesus. But why should we come? Why would we want to come to Jesus? After he gives us the call to come to him, Jesus gives us, gives us three reasons why we should come to him here in these verses. Three reasons why we should come to him. First, he says, come to me for who I am. Come to me for who I am. I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is the one place in the Bible where Jesus reveals to us his heart. Uh, Dane Ortland, whose book I know some of you are reading right now, the book Gentle and Lowly, writes this. In the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who He is, we're not told that He is austere and demanding in heart. We're not told He's exalted and dignified in heart. We're not even told that He's joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, His claim is that He is gentle and lowly in heart heart. What's the heart? We've, we've been looking at this in Sunday school, right? Many, many of you have been reading this, uh, the book about your heart by Craig Troxell. What's, what's the heart? It's your control center. It's, it's that inner control center for your person that makes you tick. It's the combination of your thinking and your desiring, your emotional life, and, and also your, your choosing, your will. Um, it, it, it's, it's at the heart of who we are. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep the heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The heart is the center. 
So Jesus is saying, here's my heart. Here's the control center of Jesus. Gentle and lowly in heart. The word here translated gentle means unassuming, humble, considerate, and meek. The word translated lowly is, is very similar, very similar meaning. It means, it means uh, humble. Jesus is, is giving us together with these two words this, this wonderful insight into who he is at his core, that he's not puffed up with pride. That he is, yes, the most important person in the universe, but he is not self-obsessed. Uh, he, he's, he's servant-hearted. He's approachable. He's, he, he's not too high and mighty for us to approach. He's gentle with sinners. He's gentle with sufferers. He's patient. He's understanding. He's never harsh. He's tender-hearted. Is this something new that we see in Jesus that we didn't see in the God of the Old Testament? Some people say, well, this is why I like the New Testament, right? Because we, got, we, we get Jesus, and he says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Um, the Old Testament, right? There's God and his wrath and his justice, and that's harder to hear. But what, what did Jesus just tell us? Verse 27, he reveals God. Right? He reveals the Father. And then he goes on to say, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He's revealing God's own heart for his people, isn't he? And if, and if you do go back and look at the Old Testament, it's all over the place. This is not something new. It's all over. For instance, Psalm 103, we could read this in Psalm 103, verses 6 to 13. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love for those who fear Him. As far as east is from the west, so far does He remove his, our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. This is who God is, who He always is for His people, as revealed so clearly here in the heart of Jesus Christ. So dear brothers and sisters, this is the first reason why you should come to Jesus. Because He is the only one who will be perfectly gentle with you. He will not be harsh with you. If you come to Him humbly, repenting, He will not be harsh. He will not trample on you. No matter what your sin is. No matter what your hurt is. He'll be gentle. He knows you down to the depths, the sinful depths of your heart. But He will be gentle with you. He is gentle and lowly in heart and and he, he knows you and he, he, he loves you and promises to be more tender towards you than you could possibly imagine. Yes, he is the holy, holy, holy one of Isaiah 6. He, he is God in all his glorious holiness who speaks in the heavens shake and he is at the same time the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. 
We see this brought out in his words here. We also see this brought out in, in Jesus' in Jesus suffering, um, in his taking our sin on himself. These words that he's uttering here, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, are not cheap words for him to say. If he's going to be gentle and gracious with a sinner like you, he's got to die for your sins to do that, doesn't he? Or this is how committed he is to his steadfast love for his people. He's going to go to the cross to, 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 to make these words effective, to make these words applicable. He's going to go to the cross to purchase these words for us so that he pays the price for our sins so that we can come to him and find him gentle and lowly towards us. Orland has a, has a wonderful quote on this. He says, Christ does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. So why wouldn't you come to Jesus? Over and over and over. Are you going to find a better friend? Someone more kind? More loving towards you? More, 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 more gracious towards you? Don't stand far off from Jesus. Don't content yourself with just a distant relationship from Him. An occasional relationship. Get closer. Come to Him. Second thing he says, the second reason we should come to him is this. Come to me, he says, because my burden is best. My burden is best. He tells us here, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we already saw that's part of what it means to come to Jesus. Fully to follow him as a disciple, take on the burden of of discipleship, take up her cross and follow Jesus. And, and, and we might think that is a hard burden, and it is, but Jesus promises us here that is, is not, is not a, it's not a heavy burden. It's not a, it's not a burdensome burden, we could say. Uh, if we're under his yoke, then we are not going to feel crushed under all the other yokes we would be under if not under his. You know the song probably, Bob Dylan, you've got to serve somebody, right? You've got to be under someone's yoke, someone's authority. You're enslaved to something. You're serving something. Jesus says, come serve me. My burden is best. The yoke I give is best. What's what's the burden that you'll carry if you don't come to Jesus? Think think about this. If, If you don't come to Jesus and take up his burden, what burden are you going to carry? Guilt. The full weight of every sin you've ever committed. You can't get rid of that any other way. You'll, you'll carry that if you don't come to Christ. Every, every proud thought, twisted and corrupt desire, every cutting word you've ever said, every action you've ever done out of accord with God's law, you'll bear the full guilt of that all by yourself if you don't come to Christ and take His burden. Um, you carry all the weight of your moral failures, all by yourself. You'll carry the burden of trying to work up enough good works to offset this massive debt of sin that you have. Um, You'll never come close to offsetting the debt of sin. It's like trying to throw some pennies at the federal deficit doing that. Your sin so far outweighs any good that you might attempt to do. 
You'll, you'll carry the burden of being a slave to sinful desires. No, sin will reign over you. Those bad habits will reign over you. Your pride and your selfishness and your, your lust and your covetousness will master you and enslave you if you don't come to Christ. So, so all these things, and the burden of your suffering and your hurt, you can, you can, you can find temporary painkillers for those things, right? Distractions, entertainments, etc. But you won't find real relief from that burden unless you come to Christ. So, add to all this, you'll carry the burden of being under the wrath of God for your sin. Facing death, facing judgment beyond death. It's a heavy burden, isn't it? All that is on you unless you come to Christ. Jesus says, you come to me. I'll take that. I'll take that burden. Your guilt, the weight of sin, the wrath of God, miseries of this life, I'll take it. You give me your burden, I'll give you mine. Come and, 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 and I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit, I'll give you new life. I'll give you hope. I'll give you freedom and forgiveness and righteousness. I'll, I'll show you how to live. I'll, I'll set you free more and more from sinful desires. The experience of this is put so well in Psalm 119.32. I will run in the way of your commandments, for you set my heart free. J.C. Ryle comments on this. He says, no doubt. There is a cross to be carried. No doubt there are trials to be endured and battles to be fought, but the comforts of the gospel far outweigh the cross. Christ's service is, in the highest sense, easy and light. His yoke is no more a burden than feathers are to a bird. Do you believe Jesus when he tells you his burden is easy and light? There's an artist uh, I like to listen to sometimes, a musician. He's named Andrew Bird. And in one of his songs, he sings about this. And he says, uh, the yoke isn't easy. In fact, it's a drag. The burden's hard. The burden's heavy. And sometimes that resonates with us. And we look at our experience and we get cynical and we doubt Jesus' words. And we can look at non-Christians and it looks like they're running on autopilot and things are working out pretty well. And, and they don't have to take up this burden of self-denial and taking up my cross and following Jesus. And it looks easier that way. But what do you think? Might I suggest, brothers and sisters, that if if the burden of following Christ feels that way to you, you might actually be trying to bear the old burden of sin and suffering all by yourself again. We can do this. Um, Christ sets us free from sin. We rejoice in it. We take up his burden. But then our tendency is to go back to some of those old ways and try to shoulder those old burdens again and try to carry them by ourselves again. And it may just be that when we feel really frustrated and crushed and, and heavy, it's not because Christ's burden is actually heavier than advertised, but because we are trying to bear those old burdens again. Now, now the burden of following Christ is painful. It can be excruciating because you're putting your old sinful self to death. However, what does he say? It's easy. It's light. 
We, we read about this. Paul talks so much about this. He says, I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul goes on in another text, 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Yes, there's a burden. But it's the glorious burden of being united to Jesus Christ and having His life in you and the hope of glory ahead of you. So don't take up those old burdens. Take Christ. Come to me, Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me, he says, my burden is best. And then finally, the third reason Jesus tells us we should come to him is because he promises kingdom rest. Come to Jesus because he promises kingdom rest. He says this twice in the verses here. He says, I will give you rest in verse 28. And then again, verse 29, he says, come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. He promises rest. How do we understand this rest? What does he mean by rest? Well, one thing is, I think he means it's a current rest that he's promising. A current rest. He is promising not just a far-off hope, Rest someday, right? Slave away now, and eventually you'll get a reward and a rest later. But I think he means you'll know rest now in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of of dealing with sin and suffering in this present life. You'll still enjoy rest in me. You'll you'll still enjoy a a, a present comfort, a present encouragement, a, a, a present current constant sense of my presence giving you strength each moment. A current rest in me. Current rest knowing you're forgiven. Current rest knowing you're redeemed. Current rest knowing you're made alive in the Spirit looking forward to eternity. It's also a complete rest. He is promising us complete rest. He is promising us a rest that is sufficient for every need. He is promising that He is a Savior perfectly fitted to our deepest needs. That we have so many needs, right? They are so varied. His rest is equally varied and equipped to meet all of them. It's a complete rest. He gives us what? He gives us rest from the labor of trying to earn a place in the kingdom of God. He frees us from that crushing burden of guilt. Uh, gives us the free forgiveness of our sins. He, he releases the stranglehold of sinful habits on our lives. Um, he frees us from the demands of the ceremonial law, right? Uh, and and uh, he, he gives us rest from uh, the, the, the anxiety of trying to be in control of our own lives. He gives us rest from, from the striving to, 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 to control things. And he gives us rest from sorrow and suffering as he gives spiritual comfort. He gives us rest by knowing we're under the steadfast love of God and His smile always. Um, He gives us the rest of His Holy Spirit, the comforter that He sends to give us us 
uh, His very presence with us. He promises that in the midst of your chaotic home or, or your, 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 your exhausting circumstances, He's there to meet you and give you rest despite those things and in the midst of those things. It's a complete rest. There's no lack to it. Take every need. Take every need to Him and ask for Him to meet you and give you rest. And then finally, um, the rest Jesus gives is a consummate rest. It's a consummate rest. We shouldn't miss this point. Jesus is not uh, innovating here. He's not telling us something new about this rest that He is going to give. He is, he is saying what He's saying in fulfillment of some old promises. If you look back over the Old Testament, we saw one of these last week in Jeremiah 31. God in Jeremiah 31 is promising to give rest to His people. Consummate rest. End time kind of rest. He's, he's promising His people there in Jeremiah 31 they're going to return from exile. They're going to come out of the, from, from suffering. They're going to come back into the promised land and enjoy the new covenant and a new fresh start in the promised land. He says in Jeremiah 31.25, I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. He's not just talking about individually coming and healing a heart here and a heart there. He's saying, I'm going to bring my whole church out of suffering and exile and into the promised rest that I, that I, that I have sworn to give them. And we read a little bit about this this morning in our Old Testament text as well. Joshua chapter 22. Much earlier in Israel's history, Joshua 22, they're, they're just coming into their inheritance. The battles have been fought and mostly won. The land is theirs. And here the Israelites stand ready to inherit their, 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 the promised land. And it says in Joshua 22, Now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as He promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession Lies. And this happens, God mentions this several times throughout the book of Joshua. I'm bringing you into your rest. And we can push back further in the Bible, can't we? Tracing this theme of rest, right? Through Israel's history and then all the way back before that. Genesis 2. God Himself rests, doesn't He? Creates the world in the space of six days, and then on the seventh day, He rests from all His work. God, God enters His eternal rest, His enjoyment of what He's made, and, 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 uh, and then He calls Adam and Eve to join Him in that if they'll continue to keep His covenant. Of course, they don't. They break His covenant. They're exiled from the garden. What's the curse? Driven away from home, restless. No place to rest and no chance of, of entering God's rest, the rest we were made for. So as Jesus says, come to Me. I'll give you rest. He is saying, I am the second Adam who came to keep the covenant, obey God, earn Sabbath rest forever. Come to me and I'll give you the rest that you were made for. I'll take the wrath. You take the rest. And so Jesus is offering us here, yes, current and complete rest in the here and now for the individual needs and suffering that we face. But much more, even more, He is offering us, holding out to us, eternal rest. Right? He, he offers us rest now, but it's an appetizer for the feast ahead. 
consummate, heavenly rest that is coming when He will restore, uh, re- restore us and refresh us and wash away our tears and, and take away our pain and our suffering and our sin and bring us into the new creation, body and soul with Him forever and perfect rest. This is what Jesus is promising. Nothing less than this if we come to Him. And brothers and sisters, that's the promise that will satisfy our homesick and restless hearts. As Augustine famously wrote in his confession, O Lord, Thou hast made us for Thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. So bring your restless heart to Jesus, and He will give you rest. Let's pray. O Lord, give us, we pray, the rest that You have promised the rest of sins forgiven, conscience cleansed, freedom from sin's power, uh, freedom even from the curse of death and the hope of resurrection life and rest in your presence forever. We pray that you would do this. We pray that you would call us all to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.